Tales from the Chair is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment. Should you or a loved one require further assistance, please seek out a licensed professional. Welcome back to Tales from the Chair. I'm Carlos Cardenas. Let's have a go at it. Today, it's a sister episode to the previous episode, the plight of charging for therapy. If you've ever owned a business, or if you are a professional who charges rates for things independently, there's a dance that you have to do with what you feel the appropriate amount is for your services, while also trying to figure out how much are people willing to pay for services, and then what is an appropriate amount for not only balancing your own personal lifestyle, but also being able to be a successful person who's not in the hamster wheel of life. All of that to be said, it's really hard to kind of find a way to charge for therapy when you have to take all these things into account. So today's episode is to give you a little insight as to how we as therapists operate with respect to what our rates are, What are the things that we have to deal with, with respect to how to maintain not only as a professional, as a business, but also for lifestyle's sake, and just to kind of give a little feedback about things that I see that do have an impact on charging for therapy as a medical professional. So first things first, a therapist, unless they are doing pure telehealth, which is pretty much the greatest thing ever from a financial standpoint, but unless they're doing something like that, has to pay for an office space, has to pay for maintaining their license, uh, taking continuing education, paying for their dues. Not that expensive, but still part of the process. Has to pay for uh, liability insurance, has to pay usually for a separate phone line in order to maintain a business, internet, things along those lines. Basically standard fare for businesses It is cheaper to have some of these liability and licensure things than for medical professionals such as a cardiologist, but it's still there. When therapists take insurance, usually it is about, I'm going to say 30 to 40% of what a private pay patient would cost. And with insurances, they are very fluid. Sometimes they will change their rates in a negative way. Sometimes they will drop us from their network. Sometimes some of the plans say that we are there, but we are actually not a provider. So this is often something that only leads to confusion for the clients because they think that we take insurance and we don't, and then they expect insurance rates and we can't give them insurance rates. But also it is something that constantly has to be monitored by us. I'm going to give you a story. I have a contract with one of the insurance providers that are a main one in Florida, and they changed their rates at some juncture several years ago where about 10% of my patients would have drawn in about $20 a session. And that is almost the amount that I can get for working at a Costco right now. So to give you an idea of just how absurd that was. So I had to drop that contract and drop many of my patients at the same time because that is not a very good rate for a professional 
of my caliber. Furthermore, insurance companies will sometimes audit us and not pay us for things that we've done. Sometimes they will simply say what we did didn't count and not pay us for that or say that it's not covered. There are limitations on how much an insurance is going to give. So if you have a medical plan that only allows for you to come in seven times in a year, you pretty much have to pay whatever our private rate is after that seventh time. So it's a constant jigsaw puzzle that we have to kind of jigger around. But charging people for something, as I mentioned in the other episode, where I don't know what the treatment is going to entail in terms of how often, how many times, and what is the point where we reach a resolution is very difficult. When you go to a knee doctor and you have to have a surgery, there is an evaluation. There are the exams to make sure what we're doing is exactly what we want to be doing. There is the surgery itself or the treatment itself. And then there is the post-op dash uh, conclusion of the process. It's usually fairly straightforward. There are some times where there are surprises. Obviously, in the medical industry, they will tell you things like that. But for the most part, there's kind of a beginning, middle, and end, no surprises barring. But in mental health, someone can come in for behavioral issues with their kid, and I can square it away in two meetings, or it could be a three-year-long journey of complications from many different factors, ups and downs and all those things. And I have to be very conscientious of that, but I have to present to you, the patient, that this is not me just stringing the process along. So that is something that I have to consider when I am charging, especially when it's outside of the scope of insurance. But as I have developed as a professional over time, gain more knowledge, have more experience, I do and have bumped up my rates since I originally started. When I first got into psychology as an independent practitioner, not working in a community mental health center, not working with any kind of other business, I was hustling. I would go to people's houses if they weren't charging for insurance, and it would be a rate of about 40 or $50. I was thinking of almost doing Groupon deals for psychology, which is a big no-no in our industry because it cheapens what the therapy is supposed to be, which I'll get into in a little bit. I was thinking of session plans. Uh, you buy 10, and it's pretty much the rate of eight, which some therapists tend to do. But over time, I have kind of settled on a price for private services and specialty services. For example, I do emotional support animal um, forms, which I'm very familiar with, and that has a certain rate, which is fairly straightforward. But when I was charging about, let's say, $80 about 10 years ago, I rose it up to $90 a year after that, $100 a year after that, with experience and time and all these different things, you just kind of move it up depending on what the market allows and what is appropriate. I'm not going to lie, as much as I would love to just drop insurances and charge $200, $250, $300 a meeting, the reality is that if I started doing that right now, not only would that dry out most of my current roster, but that's not a price that is sustainable for maintaining my business. Furthermore, I have to take into account certain factors that also complicate things. 
My office is not in a wealthy neighborhood or in a city that is predominantly open-minded to therapy. In a city like New York, it's typical to find a therapist who charges anywhere from $200 to $300, and people won't even bat an eye to that. In Miami, and the Hispanic community that resides in Miami, it is not attuned to paying for that much for therapy, nor do they view therapy in the same exact light or familiarity as other cities. For lack of a better way of putting it, we, as an industry, haven't earned that privilege. I am actually in an area that is fairly saturated with therapists, and though I have a lot of experience and training, I'm also not bringing anything to the table to justify such a high price in treatment, especially when you are coming by virtue of either seeing me on a listing online or I happen to be in your area. The greatest justification I have for charging people what I do is when they come through as referrals. But the truth is, if someone is calling me at random, they are not going to be as willing or nor is it going to be as easy to hand over money to me. And that leads to a story that I often get frustrated by, but also it makes sense in this kind of situation. So as a family therapist, I work with a lot of couples who are going through divorces. So often I hear stories of what these couples have to go through in paying for the lawyers to conclude their marriage. Once again, lawyers are an established business where people do not seem to look at it as poorly and they recognize how much the costs represent and they accept it. You try to cheap out on a lawyer and you try to get around how expensive they are, but at the end of the day, if they want to charge you what they're going to charge you, that is what you're going to pay. So I had this one instance where someone was paying me around $20 because of the copay of their insurance. And that's no big deal. That's part of accepting an insurance. Now, in their divorce, they were paying their lawyer $250 an hour, $250 an hour for every bit of work they were doing. Again, not that strange. But if they would write an email to the lawyer, and as lawyers generally do, reply, those lawyers would not only charge for reading for the email, but also writing the email. A kind lawyer will prorate it, but at the end of the day, every single interaction, every single action that they do is charged. Meanwhile, we do not normally tend to charge for writing, reading, emails, or text. Um, this is generally uncommon. Now, if it starts getting to a point where it's very massive or it's for something like a legal issue, then we might have to sheerly buy the bulk of it. But for the most part, uh, part of the banter of having a therapist is being able to have these communications and it not being charged. And frankly, a lot of people do not respond well to being charged for these kind of services because this is part of the therapeutic process and it doesn't infringe on me that much to read a text message and give a quick reply. Once it starts getting to a point where it's a back and forth, that's when I normally tend to pause the brakes on those kind of communications and punt to a session. But I also would like to pivot for a moment and point something out because services such as BetterElf are now offering that a therapist is available to the patient 24-7 through text, calls, and sessions, which is technically true. We are on-call therapists. But this is now acting as a template for a lot of people because they expect us to be available at all times to discuss whatever it is that's on their mind for free because it's part of the session structure. And I have had instances 
where people will not have sessions with me, but will ask for advice just over the course of the week through emails and text and not expect to be charged for that. And you could see it happening, but it's kind of almost surprising every single time that someone tries to basically get free advice. And it's frustrating because as a therapist, it's not something that you should charge for given the little and minimal aspect of how much we're giving in those instances, but it does start to stack up. And even though it is helpful, it is time and it slowly chips away over time. One of the things I also would like to point out in the plight of being a therapist and charging for therapy is as I mentioned in the other episode, we also do pay attention to what you're saying. And that is very beneficial for the process. But when I am talking about paying attention to what people say, I also use it partially as an accountability factor in not only charging, but maintaining my prices. So here's a good example of an instance in which someone tried to ask for a discount and given what the context of our conversations were, I was not going to give them a discount. Uh, A couple I was working with was going to be losing their insurance and having to pay me through private pay. Oftentimes in these kind of situations, I don't charge my normal rate, but rather the rate of what the deductible would be under other circumstances with the insurance, basically already a kind of discount of sorts. This is already a courtesy. I don't have to do this, and this is kind of more for just continuation of services. But the couple wanted me to reduce my rate further, because they were now going to be in a tighter situation due to what happened with their insurance. But, uh, I and I get it, going from $10 a meeting to something that's now exponentially higher is something that you have to adjust for. Here's the thing. Two weeks prior to this adjustment, the husband was telling me about a golf cart that he was going to be purchasing just because. Now, if you know anything about golf carts, those things can range anywhere from 5000 for a used one to 20000 for a mid-tier, like, new one. And he was shooting high, so he was going to get one with all the bells and whistles. He was kind of leveraging it as a sort of business purchase and investment. And, you know, when I hear those kind of things that you want discount for a difficulty, but you are also in tandem purchasing a golf cart for funsies. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to budge on the price. And and this happens very often where I am being told that it is significant and not something that can be paid for. And I get it. That makes sense. But I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Doctors don't really tend to change their rates. They oftentimes can negotiate to some extent, but what you are paying for in those services is what you're paying for. Same goes with lawyers, same goes with most professions. Like you you pay what you are being charged. And in therapy, it almost is kind of like because there isn't anything that is tangible about what I do, it's almost not respected in the same way. But the reality is, is that you are paying for my time, my expertise, my ability to manage whatever it is that you're bringing in. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that is valuable. And where we put value in things is absolutely important. 
and it brings me to one of the things that I did when I first started and I quickly learned is not something that I could do anymore and kind of heralds how I proceed in charging people now. So as I said, I used to hustle when I first started doing in-home therapy, uh, not charging patients uh, until much later on when their financial situations would get better, uh, kind of working with them. But there was this one instance or as I was working, well, I got a call from a new patient and it was a girlfriend calling with respect to working with her boyfriend, which is officially in my red flag list as one of the instances of therapy that I don't normally take on. And she said that she wanted therapy for her boyfriend, but that he wasn't willing to accept it and that I should call him in order to get him to come in. As a fresh-faced novice who was opening up a business, I viewed this as kind of a standard thing to do in spite of my experienced colleagues telling me otherwise. So I called the guy, and I, this this is to just give you an idea of what was going on. I, I live down here in Miami, like in the southern part of Miami, and I was driving to a place called Aventura, which is probably a solid 20, 30 miles away. And I started this call with this guy around the beginning of the moment I went on the highway and with traffic and everything else, I was still on the phone with him as soon as I got to my destination, maybe like 40 minutes later. He was yelling about how awful this girl was. He was yelling about how stupid therapy was. And at the end of it, I kind of meekly say, okay, um, so do you want to come in? And he's like, why? I just got a meeting for free and there's no reason for me to go ahead and, and do this moving forward. And he clicked the phone on me and I was just so crestfallen because this is how people see it. They see it as kind of like just someone that's going to listen to you and what value is there to that? I can just kind of get a phone call for that kind of stuff. I still get people that ask me for free sessions and um, every now and then I'll get a phone call that's a referral and someone will ask me for services. And when I call, rather than just scheduling the appointment, they go and tell me their life story and they ask me for advice and they tell me like, how should I appropriately do things? And like, is therapy even worth it? And I've kind of gotten better over time to be able to cut those calls down. But again, it's very difficult, not just in this economy, but also in life in general for me to afford time to people voluntarily and not get compensated for that. So ultimately, this is a plight that I constantly have to maneuver around and seesaw with. Because at the end of the day, my experience and my talents are valuable. But without having some kind of standard by which to operate from, it is very difficult for me to maintain or to hold therapy to the same standard that other medical and professional businesses hold themselves up to. When I went to consider the Groupon to get people to come in, I quickly found out what the problem was with that, that people would see therapy as something that could be not only discounted, but a coupon. And this isn't a dinner chilies. This isn't something where if I can't respect what I'm putting out 
then it's not going to be respected once it's being put in. And with that, we're done for today. I hope this opened up your mind to why the therapeutic process has the price tag that it comes with. And if you listen to the sister episode, how you yourself should manage that given how it is a person on the other side who is providing a service. If you like this, there's more episodes where this came from. You can like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all the rest. You can follow us on Twitter at Some Tales from the Chair. You can write us at SomeTalesFromTheChair at gmail.com. And I will be back with this again next week. Take care. Have a good one.